This Radio Days Africa audio amplified podcast is brought to you by the Vits Radio Academy. For more content and information, click to radiodaysafrica.co.za. Three, two, one. This is Radio Days Africa 2021 audio amplified. Download the Radio Days Africa app. Search Radio Days Africa in your app store. This is Radio Days Africa 2021 audio amplified radio in a crisis situation. And I am actually right now in some sort of a crisis situation myself. And apologies for it. And uh, let's begin, please. Let's start. And this is the 12th edition of Radio Days Africa and the second virtual offering, LGA. Um, plans and extends its um, learning, engagement, and conversation about radio and audio business in Africa. In Radio Days Africa, we try the best that we can to engage all of the broadcasters in Africa, everyone who's interested in radio, who's participated in radio, at some point or the other to be part of the conversation. RDA is presented by VITS Radio Academy under the auspices of the Department of Journalism. In 2021, it hosts seven speakers this year and over 21 sessions. And this is the second installment of this virtual offering. Last year was the beginning of it and it was successful. Now you can download the Radio Days Africa app in Play and App Store, search for Radio Days Africa. All sessions are podcasted and available on www.radiodaysafrica.co.za. RDA has commissioned a bespoke podcast series, Podcasting the African Way. It's available on the RDA website. Also, Radio Days Africa is brought to you by the Conrad Adenauer Stipend um, Media Program. It's a sub-Saharan Africa program that has been a long partner and sponsor with Radio Days Africa. Without their sponsorship and support, none of this would have been happening at all. Radio Days Africa also is supported by the National Association of Broadcasters, Media Heads uh, 360, Wise Buddha Jingles, the US Embassy in Pretoria, RCS Sound Software, Iono FM, Samro, and Podmuse.net. Our topic today, as I said earlier, is radio in a crisis situation, and I am not alone here. I have two gentlemen with me to talk with me about this, and I think I'm best suited to talk about radio in a crisis situation. As I said earlier, I'm in some kind of a crisis situation myself, but nothing compared to where these men have worked and what they've done concerning radio. I have David Smith with me. Hello, David. Oh, hello, Nelly. <laughs> nice Hi. to see you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And also, there's Alois Nioyita. Hello, Nili. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? And I think if I'm uh, sure that I just saw Bob has joined us. Did Bob join us? Yes, Nelly. How are you? Hi, Bob. I'm glad you were able to join us. Thank you very much. All right, gentlemen, let me start by saying um, I live in Nigeria, so I'd like you all to say where you live, where you've worked, and more about your work as well. But before I do that, um, let me just get all of our audience involved with us. Now we're talking about radio in a crisis situation because this is un not unfamiliar with Africa. In Africa, we know that there are pockets of crisis in countries that seem quiet and safe. And then for some other countries, it's an entire civil war. It's turned the country upside down. And sometimes the crisis isn't just what makes the news. It's also in our daily living. 
in the things that suddenly interrupt our everyday, that interrupt how we communicate, how we live, and also cut shut our lifespan, cut shut our ability to be complete human beings. These facets of crisis are, I think, what we should be addressing from your work and our conversation today. And radio has found a way to be in the midst of all of this. Now, as I said before, um, David is here. We've got Bob and we've got Aloy. And these are men that have worked in very important roles in crisis situation here. But I'm going to start with David. David has been working in radio in conflict zones and fragile states for more than 30 years. He started in South Africa. He's worked in DRC in Central African Republic, Somalia, former Yugoslavia, and currently Nigeria, where I live, Chad, Cameroon, and Niger. But I'd like to talk about more than just um, the idea of a crisis. David would also like to share with us stuff around credibility and language and the appropriate technology to use to discuss this using radio. But I have one first question for you, David, and I'd like you to begin. What exactly does radio do in a crisis? Especially in a crisis, everything is already upside down. Radio is almost bootlegged. Good information is controlled. So when you say radio serves an important role in a crisis, what exactly does it do? How can anyone understand what it does in a situation like that? Well, thanks. And that's a big question. <laughs> no, radio, can, radio can have a very positive role in, in a crisis. It can also have a very, a very negative role. Um, and, and maybe we should look at, look, look at today what's happening here, here in South Africa. You know, I, I started in radio at a radio station in one of what was then one of South Africa's homelands uh, called the Transkei at a radio station called Capital Radio. And it took advantage of South Africa's broadcast laws to attempt to broadcast what was really happening in apartheid South Africa at a time when most of the news happening in, in, in the country was not being told by the state broadcaster, the SABC. And that brings us full circle to today, where there's a, a serious crisis in South Africa. As I speak to you right now, there, there are there, there, are, there are protests, there are lootings, there are burnings, there are killings happening all over the country, especially in the provinces of KwaZulu-Natal and, and Gauteng, where I'm sitting now here, here in Johannesburg. And one of the first things people do, and I'm included in that group, when they hear of, of a conflict in their area, is they turn to the radio, a radio they can trust, to find out what's going on. In my case, uh, in 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 the in the morning, I turned on to SAFM, the the state broadcaster, to listen to a program called SAFM Sunrise, which covered the country from north to south, east to west. What's going on uh, in in terms of protests and violence? In the evenings, there's a there's a there's a great talk station um, that uh, that has a, a a journalist by the name of John Perlman who thousands of people tune into when they know there's trouble in the country. And there are others. But people turn to trusted sources because they, they, they believe them, because they, they know that whatever's happening in the country, radio gets through. It, it, the, the airwaves do not get stopped by, by roadblocks, by violence. The airwaves just carry on broadcasting. And it's a time when we look to, uh, when we look for, for something that will help us understand um, whether it's safe to go outside or not. Uh, and, and here in Johannesburg today, a lot of people don't know if it's safe to go outside in certain areas, but the radio tells them, <laughs> tells them you know, what, what's happening. 
I, I heard a traffic report on, on SAFM this morning uh, from Durban, something I've never heard uh, on the air before. The, the SABC has a very well-known traffic reporter named Rob Burns, and he was reporting about traffic in Durban. And he said something along the lines of, in Durban, there's, there's shooting all over the place. I'd recommend that you don't go out anywhere unless you really have to. The city is like a war zone. I've never now. I've never heard a traffic report in South Africa like that. The city is like a war zone, and it's because of it's because of this radio traffic report that chances are a lot of lives were saved because people are staying at home because they're listening to 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 um, uh, to a, a countrywide broadcaster. Now, without wanting to ramble on too long, um, because I, I, I certainly can do that. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've been involved in, in conflict radio for, for most of my life. And the, to come back to your original question, Nelly, information saves people's lives. Information empowers people. It tells them what they can do, what they shouldn't do. Sometimes they have to make decisions about whether they should stay where they are. We broadcast in the Lake Chad Basin in, in, in northeastern Nigeria, in, in parts of Cameroon, Niger, and, and Chad. You know, as you sit in Lagos, when I tell people that I'm going to my Duguri, to people in Lagos or Abuja, they think I'm crazy. The average Nigerian doesn't want to go to my degree, and I'm sure you, you've heard that many times, because all they hear on the media is that it is a dangerous place because of Boko Haram. And it is a dangerous place, but life goes on. And because radio is there, and because we operate in, in the local languages of the region, you know, we, we, we listen to the people on the ground, we let the people on the ground talk to each other, we create a radio community so that people in dangerous situations can take decisions about how to move forward with their lives. And I'm going to stop there because I don't want to, I want to make sure everybody else has a chance to speak. And I imagine you'll come back to me. Now, of course, I'll come back to you. And I, I, the reason I asked you this was to establish a premise because um, the, I, I wanted to talk to Bob about um, being censored even in a crisis. And the best way to do this and to know this is to understand the purpose of radio in the first place in a crisis. One would imagine that um, in, in a crisis situation, the last thing people would have time for is to tune on to radio and listen to it. And that's because we live in a world where every year, People um, recommend the extinction of radio. Every year, someone has a theory about how radio is no longer valuable or useful. <laughs> yeah, you're raising your hand, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I hear that all the time. I mean, back in the, back in the 70s, there was a song, Video Killed the Radio Star. But it didn't. I mean, radio is alive and well. When, we're, when you're sitting in Lagos or me sitting in Johannesburg, it doesn't always seem to be the case because we're sitting in, in, in big cosmopolitan cities where there's a, a, a wealth of media and smartphones and satellite TV and, and so many other things to get information across. But there are large <clears throat> swathes of this continent where that is not the case. If you're living in the Lake Chad region, for, for example, or, or the Sahel, an area that extends from Senegal on the Atlantic coast to, to, to Ethiopia, Eritrea, and, and Somalia on, on the Red Sea. There are vast areas where there's very little infrastructure, uh, where newspapers aren't distributed, where there's, there's not much in the way of, of electricity. There's high illiteracy rates. Radio is the only means most people have to get information from outside their community. I, I often get asked the question, do, does everybody in the area where you broadcast have a radio? 
And if you ask the question in that form, the answer has to be no. But if you change the words slightly to, does everybody have access to radio? Then the answer is very different. Then the answer is yes. In, 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 in Northeast Borno State, in the same country where you're sitting, Nelly, there are people in places like Bama and Dikwa and, and, and Potiskum who have never been to school, have never read a newspaper, who have never watched TV, but they have these little... But they have the radios. Yeah, we call it transistor radios. That have yeah. AM, FM, and shortwave on them. And they, they yeah. in some cases, are better informed than people who live in Lagos or Johannesburg because they're listening to the house service of the BBC every day, the house service of, of, of Deutsche Welle, the house service of Radio France International, and the Canuri services of, of Radio and Arizona, et cetera. All right, David. Big listeners. Yeah, we'll get, we'll, we'll get back to this. Because I want to ask Bob now of something you just said. You, you said they'll, they'll always have radio. Radio would always be there to tell them more. But Bob, how does it feel to be on radio and finding it impossible to do exactly what radio should do in a crisis? Now, let's, let's, um, let me tell the audience about Bob. Bob is a director of Radio Public African of Burundi, and he is a uh, recipient of the African Journal Award for Media Freedom. In 2015, he was released after being wrongfully detained by the Burundian government, and it was not a quiet affair. There was celebration all over the streets of Bujumbura. So, um, Bob, if you're still with us, I just need you to tell us how it feels. If radio is so valuable in a crisis, and, and you know this more than anyone else, you've lived through a crisis. If radio is this valuable in a crisis, how is it, how does it feel to, to find it impossible to do, to be unable to fulfill that role as a journalist working on radio in time of crisis? Uh. This is a good uh, question, but also somehow difficult. But you know, as you told, uh, Burundi media are in a, in a deep crisis since 2015. And uh, uh, the, 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 main, the main reason uh, these media, especially independent media, are uh, in a, a big crisis and have been destroyed and closed by the government was that uh, in Burundi, the media represents, I think, uh, 90% of uh, official communication. And, uh, and media, media are very, very credible in our young democracy in Burundi. So, you know, actually in Burundi, there is uh, anti-democratic regime, if I can talk so. And uh, bon, let uh, let uh, let me ask, uh, respond to your question. Actually, as you say, it is very difficult to 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 do to do the this work, this uh, the journalism in Burundi because uh, uh, the country is in a big crisis in security, politics, and uh, you know. Uh, most of uh, 100 journalists have, have uh, left. Have the, they are now refugees in the region. So even if, even if the, the, the regime destroyed the media, actually journalists set up other platform, media, media platform, and they, trying, they, they are working 
from outside, from outside Burundi. Yes, it is not uh, very easy to to do this work to 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 where you are where you are not in the on the field on the ground but according to the importance people gave to radio people have been have been still connected to 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 these media who are now operating from exile and the people constitute the 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 main the main sources of information and according to the new technology of information, actually, these media still connected with their sources on the field. But we have some uh, other uh, type of collaboration with uh, journalists who are still on the ground. Because you know, journalists on the, in, in Burundi are not free to exercise. And then they prefer to, to share several informations to those media who are now operating from exile. You understand? Yes. This, is how, this is how our media actually uh, still, still, if I can say so, still the principal source, sources of information in Burundi. So well, it's, more, it's more like a coordination. It's a coordination between um, journalists who are in Burundi and those outside. So if you're able to access information from inside of Burundi, you're sure to get it from your colleagues outside of Burundi to, to get it to you anyway. So the information still comes in, just not from in, not by the journalists living inside Burundi. No, information comes from journalists inside, who still connect with us. But also, as you know, the, the, the situation in Burundi is still very complicated in, in this way, where you found, for example, people, people, some responsible of the, the regime inside Burundi, who are not agree, who, are, who don't agree with what is doing, what is done by authorities, you see. And so, for example, this, this, this category of, of uh, political responsible, till our sources of information, for example, and uh, we, we, we created, uh, for example, uh, the, 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 the number, numbers from, uh, of uh, WhatsApp group, for example, where, you can, where we receive, we receive regularly, we receive regularly information from our sources in Burundi. Some want to stay an, uh, an anonymous. Some ask us to, <laughs> yes, to, 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 to keep their name, not to diffuse, to publish their name. Yes. This is how we, 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 we are able now to continue to do from exile, to, to exercise, to do our work. Because we are in Burundi now, three, three principal media, or they are around, uh, um, there are almost five, five media who are operating from exile. But, uh, there are uh, three traditional media who were working, who, who, who was working in Burundi before the According, according to the BBC, it says that recently some privately owned radio stations were shut down. Some of them were even burned during the crisis, and many of them have never been able to come back into business. 
So, which means some journalists lost their jobs, some radio stations could no longer operate in Burundi because of the crisis. Is there a a fear amongst journalists and media owners to get back in the business, to continue broadcasting or trying to tell the news, knowing the risks that they face? Loss of money, loss of income, loss of jobs. Because the reason I'm asking about this is, in Nigeria, what we find is when there is a slight shift in, in power, and maybe as we're facing right now, laws that are trying to stifle the media business, Once there's a threat to the media business itself, there are very few people willing to hire journalists and willing to set up radio stations. So I wonder if that's the same case in Burundi where you actually face real life threats. Radio stations are burned, journalists lose their jobs. Has this discouraged the journalists um, to do that, to do that work? Uh, This is a very interesting question, but this is the difference with Burundi. You can uh, see on uh, on different uh, reports. You know, you know. For example, since 2015, where uh, where where when happened this big uh, media crisis with the regime, you can see. Yes, yes, it's uh, it's correct that uh, some journalists lost their their job. This is uh, this is the case, but. Every this journalist is still with this passion to continue. Imagine yes. some, yes, imagine some are living in exile without without salaries, without uh, job, but are still asking to collaborate with those media who who still um, uh, operating. But uh, I have to mention also that we get uh, a little a little chance. Because uh, since, since uh, for example, our media have been burned and closed in Burundi, when we set up other platform of media in exile, we 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 received we received some support from uh, international organization, from some the some uh, embassies in Burundi. Yes, maybe I'm, for uh, in this conference maybe. I don't want to mention some some embassies in Burundi or some country who decided to support media in exile in Burundi, but it is still the case. This is why, it's, for example, we have uh, some journalists who, who have been uh, uh, engaged in this media, media in exile. So in Burundi, you know, it is uh, like... Uh, it is like a, 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 a noble, noble mission. Huh? I don't know how. To... It is, it is, it is a, 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 a very, very good mission to 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 still a journalist, to still working because you know the Burundi now is uh, is uh, in the big crisis. It is the regime who kill people. So, so is it? Am I am I right to say that? Am I right to say that journalists in Burundi? are still quite passionate and it, it, it's like a life purpose and a choice to make sure that they keep doing their job in Burundi. Am yes, I right yes, to say that? Yes, yes, this is, our, our, this is what I would like to say effectively. So right, this Bob, is... Let yes. me... Um, okay. Okay, well, I'll, I'll definitely come back to talk to you because I know now that Aloy can no longer go back to Burundi, if I'm Not right. Me. And... 
yeah, Aloy can't go back to Burundi. Aloy is with us right here. And um, he's a journalist. He can't go back to Burundi. And he's the head of programs at Ndarasan International in Yadema. And uh, he is joining us here. He used to be with Studio Ijambo in Burundi and some other Burundian outlets, but he can't go back to Burundi. And I want to know how he, how he feels about it and if he's still connected to the passion of being in Burundi or not being in Burundi, but feeling the same passion as you feel, as every other journalist and radio broadcaster feels in Burundi, despite the fact that he might not be there, but wants to wants what is truly right and true independence and democracy for his people, you know, genuinely. And would, I, think, I think we're going to talk about that as well, what this even means for radio broadcasters to explain to our audience that we are in a so-called democracy, but nothing feels democratic. So we'll actually come back to that. Aloy, hi. It's a pleasure to have me. Yes. So I hear you can't go back to Burundi. Yeah, but it's also a pleasure you've shown me, Mr. Bob, I haven't seen since six years. Oh, fine. It's good to reconnect everyone here on, on Radio uh, And also it's a pleasure to meet yes, you because I'm your colleague. Yes. yes, man. Keep nice strong. Brother, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, keep strong. Absolutely. Keep strong. Absolutely. So uh, it's a pleasure also meeting you, Nelly, because, you know, um, Thank you. I, I, I consider you as my colleague as uh, I am based sometime in my Dugury. Oh, a place We're that I love then. too much. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because uh, <laughs> there are so lovely people living, living what they live, but still they live. So thank you for giving me this opportunity and uh, greetings, Mr. Bob. Yes. So uh, coming back to your question, Nelly. Yeah, it's sad I cannot go back to Burundi because it's my country. I love it. I've been working it for a lot of years. That is 18 years. I was a journalist before fleeing. But I, I, I fled because I saw things coming. And uh, I am very, very attached, you know, to freedom of expression, you know, because it's only the freedom of, of expression that can save our, our people. So uh, in 2015, when I saw it coming with the, the third mandate, when young people went on the streets demonstrating against it, and the police started shooting it, uh, shooting at people, and uh, killing young people who were just asking for the constitution to be respected, I, uh, I foretold that uh, the worst was coming. And uh, yeah, I told my kids and my wife to pack and we went in the empty. You know, when you, you flee, you don't know where you go. You don't know what you are going to become. But because I'm pretty much attached to, you know, to the freedom of expression, I quit my country and uh, I've been living in exile since six years. I would like to go back, but I can't until the conditions are set so that we can exercise freely and, you know, uh, do what people, our listeners, our readers want us to do for them. Because 
It's simple. What are these conditions, Aloy? Sorry? What are these conditions that you want to be set? You said, Council, the conditions are set. What are these conditions? I'm not, uh, journalists are not free to talk freely, to exercise freely. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the radios were destroyed. Can you imagine they came, they came with the rocket to destroy the, the studios? They came with some strange powders that they spread and then they could burn the studios and the offices. They abducted, okay, then we, 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 we ran, we fled, and then they just abducted one of our colleagues who had stayed to Burundi, he's been missed. And uh, I don't know if I can say that chess is out, that the guy is no longer because we, I mean, the, the police found a body without a head and uh, we thought that was our colleague, though we couldn't exactly say it. But the guy is missing since six years. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy to describe, but they may tell you that things are okay. Eh? You, you may think things are okay, but Burundi is a country where some people are operating in a, in I don't know which manner, how I can describe it. Some people will come and abduct you and, uh, you, know, you know, we have a parallel militia guys. And these are the guys who are, let me say, very active. They are operating with some guys in the, of in, in the police offices, but you will never know. So the officers may say we are clean, we are doing whatever to make sure that security is there, but they let their guys, their militia guys go and do what they want. So this is what uh, I'm referring it to. So to in, this, in this kind of, in this sort of situation, why is radio worth it? Why is it important that radio keeps going on in a crisis? Radio must keep, you know, I, I think uh, David said it, you know, the radio tells you what is happening, what is going on on a daily basis, right? And then people who turn on radio to listen what is happening, then they can take the right decision, either to stay home or to go to their job if they are farmers or if they work in offices they can say oh there is security there i can go or people are shooting there i can't go we are but isn't, it, the isn't it isn't it a greater isn't it isn't it isn't this worse <laughs> um i'm stuttering because my brain is making all the connections to all the parallels in africa where this is similar but you just said you know rockets bomb radio stations i mean it's a radio station and then it's bombed and isn't it worse on the people listening to radio in a crisis when they see that the radio station that they love listening to is bombed? Does it not heighten the fear? Because yeah, if you sure. say it doesn't, then how do you handle it? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. You, you know, when you do this job, it's like you eat, uh, what can I say? It's like a drug. When you, you do this okay. job, you, you, you become passionate because you know what it means for your people which means your people is me, my people is me. You understand? So that is why, as Bob said earlier, after we 
fled. We then tried to, we, we sat together and said, hey guys, what are we going to do? Sitting down and drinking all the days, we are going to die of alcohol. What can we do? And immediately we had this idea to set up radios, which are now airing on uh, platforms like WhatsApp, Facebook, uh, Twitter. And uh, so we are pretending to, you know, but we do, and the people love us. People are listening to us, you know? Though we That's are doing amazing. this under, we are doing this under difficult conditions, but we do it. And uh, you, you asked about salaries. Yeah, so we are, we, I'm, I'm one of the luckiest guys who managed to get a job with the Radio Darasson. But we have, we, we, we are how many? We are more than 120 journalists who fled the country. So imagine, uh, I, I can say that 90, 99% are, are jobless or are living on, you know, sometime when I go back, I have to, you know, to pay some services from, for my, 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 my colleagues. So yeah, that's it. But they still do it with passion. Nonetheless. Okay, I want to, let me go back to David for a moment, because David just said that, um, just informed me, thankfully, that two um, radio stations in Johannesburg were looted. And I want to ask the same question. If, if in a crisis, people depend on radio, in a crisis, and then the same radio station and radio journalists and people they trust are being attacked, does that not make the fear even worse amongst people who trust radio? David? How do you handle this? Um, because if I depend on Aloy or Bob, you know, to tell me what's going on in Burundi, to tell me what's going on at home in my, in my community, and then Aloy and Bob are being attacked, does that not worsen the trust and confidence that I feel? Am I not more afraid by that? Of course. Of, of course, Nelly. I mean, that's, there's a big risk. And there, there's a risk for everybody who works in radio stations to tell the truth because radio is a messenger and it's often the messenger that gets shot. You know, the, the radio stations to, to, to work, whether we're talking about Bob who's, who's sitting in Burundi or, or Alois is in N'Djamena or our colleagues in, 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 uh, in Maiduguri or the people who work at the SABC or private stations in South Africa who are trying to get the story out, they're always at risk. And one of the things donors ask when, when we're looking for money to keep the radio in the Lake Chad area going is they say, well, what about your journalists? I mean, what about the risk to them? And, you know, as a between parentheses, uh, I, 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 I worked at Radio Okapi in the Congo for a number of years where two two journalists were brutally murdered. And, and this happens at radio stations all over the continent. It happens in Somalia all the time. It happens, uh, it, it sometimes happens in Nigeria. You know, nobody stopped working at Radio Okapi. Nobody stopped working because of threats uh, in the Lake Chad area. One of, our, one of our journalists, one of our journalists in, who speaks Buduma, who comes from one of the islands in, in Lake Chad, Boko Haram called his father on the cell phone and said, we know your son. Uh, we know that he's saying things against us. You're in trouble. I mean, I've, I've obviously I've, I've, I've condensed it a little bit. The father called his son, who, who, who works with us, and I won't mention his name here, 
uh, Alois knows who I'm talking about, and said, I've just received a threat from Boko Haram. I want you to know that I want you to continue doing the good work you're doing. Don't worry about me. What you're doing is more important. And you see, the thing about people who work in radio, if they're already in a conflict area, as Alois said earlier, we can spend our time in a conflict situation getting drunk and die of alcohol poisoning. Or we can do something. If you live in Maiduguri, if you live in Diffa, if you live in, in Bagasola or any other severe conflict area, the risk to your life is already high. Whether you do nothing or take, take a stand. And without exception, and I've been working in radio in conflict areas longer than probably most of the people who are watching us have been alive. And they, they know they're doing a good job and they'd rather take a risk to build the country, to build a region, to bring stability and hopefully progress to, to, to the area in which they live. Solutions are local. And at the end of the day, it's not the foreign NGOs and, 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 and the World Bank that's going to fix the major conflicts on our continent. The major conflicts will be sorted out through local knowledge because people have an opportunity to talk to each other and to look for solutions together. And radio facilitates that. I don't want to forget to ask you about that, David. I do not want to forget because I think you believe that conversation and communication, discussion about all of these conflicts will take radio. It is one, the number one role radio performs in a crisis. And then we'll take, we'll take the, uh, the crisis itself, radio, the people, and the solution we're looking for forward. I believe that you strongly you know, support that idea. However, before I get to you on that, I need to ask Bob a question that I think we can all relate with, which is explaining to your audience in a crisis situation that this is some shadow of democracy, even, even when it doesn't feel like it. So um, Bob, as, as I've said before, I'm Nigerian and I did say that I had to handle a crisis before coming on here. So apologies for the shoddy beginning um, that, that, that happened. And I find that some of the hardest I've ever done is try to explain to Nigerians that is try to explain to Nigerians that we are in a democracy. As I speak to you right now, there are laws being debated on to stifle press freedom even further and take it as far as social media. And as you know, sitting here, Twitter has been banned in my country. So um, I was very impressed when Aloy said there were puppets of radio they do on social media, Facebook, WhatsApp, Twitter. I was very impressed with that. But in Nigeria, it's so hard to convince people that this is a democracy when everything around you seems so militant. So is this something you've had to deal with, Bob, when you had um, the first elected, uh, democratically elected president, and then he turned out to be as autocratic as any military uh, commander would have been? Did you find this difficult? And if you didn't, please share with me how you did it, because I'm still struggling with that. Uh, you know, Nelly, uh, it is very important somehow the, 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 what you are saying about the uh, situation in Nigeria or in Burundi. But I have to mention one thing. You know, you have to know. I, th I, I think it is, the, it is the case in several African countries. You know, in Burundi, between radio and the people, it's a love story. You have to keep it on your mind. It's a love story, a big, big love story. 
So, you know, when uh, the regime actually, Cindy DFTD, arrived in power, they arrived according the, um, the, the participation of media independence because they arrived power on, on 2005, you see, after a, a long civil war, 12, 12 years of civil war, you see, and the media, independent, special independent media. I remember especially that the, 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 the media of Alois uh, have been several times persecuted by the different regime. As uh, my radio, RPA, you see, I think I remember uh, at this period during the, during the civil war, our journalists of RPA, African Public Radio, journalists of uh, colleagues of ROEs have been detained, have been jailed by intelligence services. And you know why? Because the regime, the, at this period, the military regime, say they gone to, 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 to collect information in the rebellion camp, you see. And as they are returned, when they, uh, they are returned on the ground, they have been arrested and some jailed. So the, the same regime, the, the same regime who arrived on the power with participation of this independent media, begin the same thing to persecute people, to persecute radio. So, exactly what's happening here. Yes. So yes. what I would like to, to mention, when they arrive, they, they want to bring Burundi again after the, uh, um, the, the first election. They wanted to bring Burundi back to the, uh, how to say, tyrann, tyrannic system, you see, autocratic. And the media refused, me, and the, the independent media refused on their uh, editorial philosophy. They refused. They and they say so. They opened. Uh, they opened uh, some strategy to to make people participate participating. I I think in the, this young democracy. So, in the same time, the people of the others party ruling other party politi political party. In the same time, the regime persecuted opposition leaders, opposition members. The media were there to denounce. The media were there to document every cases. And, and according to this, the international community began to put some pressure on the regime. This is the time of the, I don't know if I can say the rupture. You know, my English, my English is not very better. It's fine. It has been the rupture. The rupture then, then it has been the 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 rupture of the regime and the independent media. So it, it is since 2006, 2010, and then for example, uh, for your uh, example, in 2003, I think, the regime wants to bring a fake law, a fake law of, uh, of press, which we, we, fight, we, we fight against and we, we we, I think that we, 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 we have fight. We, we fight real, and the regime have been obliged to 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 leave the 
to Bob, abandon this project. So Bob, that, I need to, that's I need to say minute. something what? to you, Bob. Yes. I don't. I don't even know how appropriate what I want to say sounds like, but I want to say that the press, radio, and and all of the press in in Burundi are very brave. I say that in comparison with you know where I am and. And the things that inform radio in my country, which is money, capitalism, okay. it's also cronyism, whether they have whether they're friends, many government people, many of these politicians own radio stations in Nigeria. They pay journalists' salary. And you know, by that also means you're limited by what you say. And there's a crisis going on here as well. So when I hear the stories you're telling me about journalists in Burundi, you and Aloy, I feel nothing but pride at your at your bravery, at your ability to. You know, despite all the limitations to stand on, you know, on the message. And you said something, you said it's like radio in Burundi is like, it's like um, family, it's like a friendship, a relationship. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that in Nigeria, that there's a relationship between, you know, radio and the people. There's so much distrust in certain parts of Nigeria, not, not everywhere. Definitely not Mayuguri, where both um, David and Aloy have, have worked at time, you know, time and time again. But it happens here, and I think that's very brave. I do want to, I do want to address um, how technology helps in Burundi, but in a moment, right? We'll, we'll get back to that because now, now that we've established what it looks like, what it feels like to work in a crisis, I'd like us to talk about how the measures that can help to make this better, right? But in a moment, because I want to get to Aloy, I have, I, and I need to share some, some information here. Um, that I'm receiving. Um, Aloy, there's a book of your story as a journalist. Um, you were born from a mixed family, uh, a Hutu father who was killed in a political crisis while you were only two years old, and a Tutsi mother. And um, you, you work in a, in a crisis that is very ethnic between the Hutus and the, uh, oh, Aloise, uh, between the um, Hutu and the Tutsis. So first, Aloise, I, I apologize for what I've been doing to your name. I'd like, like you to tell us about that, um, a little more about your book, and also tell us how it feels like to be in the middle, you know, to be in the middle of these warring parties. How, do you, how does it help your work as a journalist? What's your story like? Not easy. It hurts. Uh, you know, uh, I, I want to come back to what Bob said first, uh, before I can come to your question, you know, he said uh, we've been living, uh, you know, it has been 12 years of civil war back home, but Bob forgot that it's more than that. Uh, the crisis in Burundi has gone on since 1961, when we got independence. That means I was born in war, in civil war. Bob, he, I think he's a little bit younger than me, was born in the Civil War. That is, uh, we, it has been kind of cyclic. So the book, the book uh, is questioning the stupidity about all these wars. Because normally, uh, socially speaking, Burundians are good people. They love each other. They attend the same barriers. They attend the same marriages. Uh, Bob, let's start, let's start with you before I, I move to David. Then when Louise comes on, he can, he can join us and start from wherever he, he stopped. And I said I wanted to ask you how technology helps in this situation. Um, 
I'm also living in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a crisis situation, but not exactly as you are in the movie, right? Um, mm-hmm. Alois, I hope he gets to join us soon and, and explain for, further about what it means to be both um, Hutu and Tutsi, and then having to find his place as a, as a journalist, someone who has to tell the truth and tell a story around what's going on. But does technology help? Do you think it's helping in Burundi to get the message across? If there are no longer as many physical stations as possible, does it help to be absolutely. on social? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's helped very, very, very well because, you know, since the media have been destroyed and closed by the regime, 2015, when we were in exile, we set up the new platform media. Automatically, yes, one thing is, is um, correct, people, there, there is no big audiences, you see? There is no big audiences now. According to the, the people who have access to internet are very limited, you see? The number of people who have access to the internet are very limited. But, you know, for example, now uh, we, we are operating and we are uh, uh, publishing uh, via WhatsApp, Twitter, Facebook, and several people now in Burundi are got, got the Android telephone. Be according this media crisis, imagine there are people who have who gone to, to buy their smartphone or Android telephone in order only to follow our news, not to use to call uh, each one in their family or for, uh, for other reasons, you see. People going to buy the, the Android in order to follow our new media in exile. So uh, I remember that uh, at the beginning uh, of the crisis, there have been uh, Airplay, our radio, have been published uh, on shortwave. On shortwave, yes, we use shortwave um, during two years, but uh, you know it uh, it demands more money, more money. And sometime we, 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 we didn't get uh, this money. So, but I would like to, uh, to confirm that technology helped very well. And then now we can say we are satisfied. How, somehow satisfied our news have in Burundi, sincerely. For example, we, but I have also to add something. In 2015, the, the 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 regime, the regime discovered, uh, realized that uh, our media still uh, follow follow uh, follow follow up following. They they still follow keep up. audiences in Burundi. And imagine they decided okay. to use police. They decided at this time to use police to arrest people who are following uh, to our news on their telephones. But uh, after two years they realized that they have been arrested more, more people. And at a certain time, they, they, they decided to let them listen, you see, because themselves used to listen to our news. Imagine even our president, I, I got news recently that even our new president, the new president of Burundi, asked every morning they are, they are to his uh, communication staff, to, to, to bring him our news. Because he, he knows that it is the only free news available in Burundi. Because 
I don't, I don't want to accuse my colleagues still inside in Burundi uh, to do nothing. No, we know that they try to do their best, but the, the political situation, the security situation in Burundi does not allow them, does not allow them to, to exercise freely. According also, the regime have killed yeah. several journalists in Burundi, you see. This is what uh, journalists actually um, are working under fear, but under threats, but the, the collaboration between the, the inside the Burundi journalists and the exiled Burundi journalists is still working and the Burundi and the international community still now, let, obtain information who are free. All right, let me take, let me go to David now because we'll be rounding up soon and I don't know if um, Eloise will be able to join us before we do round up. So David, here's to you. I'd like to know how technology helps to do what you believe in. That's taking us back to what you what you were talking about, which is radio needs to ensure that there's discussion. Radio needs to enforce it. That's the purpose of radio in a crisis. Create space for dialogue. And then when that dialogue continues, it dispels rumors and moves on. So my question is, how does technology help it? Does it help with credibility? Does it help to, to, to give to foster trust? amongst people who are who just might not have access to it as well. I mean, I think technology does a lot of good, but it's also quite limiting in a crisis situation in places like Africa. So you just tell me more because you've worked with this and around this. Sure, I'll start, thanks Nelly. I'll start by saying that content is king. In what, whatever the technology is, the content has okay. to be credible before anything else. And I'm very pleased that uh, a few minutes ago, Bob talked about, about shortwave. I mean, the technology has to be appropriate, and it depends who you're talking to, where they are, and what their means are. That that will determine the type of technology used. You know, in in Johannesburg or or Lagos, it makes no sense to broadcast on shortwave, but in in places like Burundi, where there's severe restrictions, in places like the Lake Chad region and the Greater Sahel, where the infrastructure doesn't exist, uh, it's important to use appropriate technology like shortwave. And this is one of the biggest biggest hassles we have with donors who generally don't even know what shortwave is. And I, I see Bob nodding in approval over there. I'm sure he has a hard time with his, his shortwave budget because shortwave costs a lot more than FM does. It costs a lot more than putting something on WhatsApp or, or Facebook, but it's necessary because in the places where shortwave is needed, it's usually the only means of reaching this isolated community. So the technology the technology doesn't really have anything to do with credibility as much as it has of making sure you're reaching the people you want to reach. And when you know what your target audience is, and a lot of people come up to me and say, David, I want to start a radio station. And I say, well, what's your target market? And they say, everybody. Well, there's no such thing as a radio station that targets everybody. You have to decide who you want to reach and then use the appropriate technology to reach them. All right, David. Um, we're wrapping up after this, and uh, but I just can't help myself. I need a yes or no to this question, honestly. Just a yes or no, and then I move on. If there's a radio station that doesn't foster dialogue and discussion, and therefore doesn't dispel rumors and doesn't attack this head on, is it doing its job? Yes or no? Oh, that's the, I, I, it's, I've got to say something more than no, yes, no. but because every radio station has a format. No, but I just have time for a yes or no. 
Okay. Yes, it does. I know. But there's no, a rumor in every format. No, but with <laughs> no. extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, but there's nuances in between. I understand. Yeah. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Bob. And thank you, Louise, even though I know you, you can't join us, you know, at the end. Thank um, you, this, this has been an incredible experience for me. Thank you so much, Bob. Um, once again, I think I owe um, all of you an apology and everyone who's watching at, um, at the entire crisis that began this very session. However, I'm sure we've been able to talk as much as we can and be able to touch every aspect. I am so impressed and inspired by the journalists in Burundi and by the work that you do, David, and Alois, Alois and uh, Bob. Um, I look forward to seeing how far our conversation goes, and I look forward to seeing how much we can all um, you know, work together, cooperate with fellow journalists who are in worse areas of crisis, and see how we can make the, the story an African story, and take it across borders for everyone else to know what's happening, open up discussion, and have hope. Thank you very much. That was a Radio Days Africa audio amplified podcast brought to you by the Vix Radio Academy. For more information and podcasts, click to radiodaysafrica.co.za.